everybody. Welcome to another edition of the College Basketball Bonanza. I believe this is our uh, first episode in February. So thank you so much for tuning in on your favorite podcast platform. My name is Nicholas Hodel. And as always, my co-host Dominic Stern is alongside me. And of course, we're recording this on Super Bowl Sunday. But I think the attention of America after the Super Bowl will be solely focused for the most part on college basketball, which is fantastic news for the sport and for us. Right. If you're going to ask me how I was doing today, I was going to say, I'm excited to talk about college basketball with you, but my attention today will be on the Super Bowl a little later today. I uh, was fortunate enough to keep track of the Iowa-Indiana Indi- uh, Iowa, game. Indiana ended up getting a key victory for them, so that's big for them, obviously. Iowa's starting to dwindle, but hey, they're a really good team. We'll see how they can rebound. Yeah, and, and Iowa, uh, just, get, just to get straight into it, not the best week for them uh, whatsoever. Uh, the last at Indiana now a sweep, which I don't think any of us saw coming. Uh, and then Ohio State taking a loss at home to the Buckeyes. And really, I think to be fair here to Ohio State, I think the Buckeyes are going to be number four on Monday. I firmly think that, at least in my eyes, I think that's where the Buckeyes are. And that is saying a lot about this team a lot of credit to uh justice sue and and ej liddell those two in particular uh have been exceptional for the buckeyes just as a whole uh cj walker uh putting in nine assists off the bench um he had he had a very impressive performance uh coming on as the sixth man uh for the buckeyes but just to really talk about iowa in particular Yes, you are playing the Big Ten, and really almost any loss isn't bad necessarily, but the trend line for Iowa isn't good here. No, it's not. And it seems like Coach McCaffrey kind of went off on reporters this afternoon uh, when they're asking about how Garza's playing minutes were not where it should have been, and that's part of the reason why they lost. So things don't look good in Iowa right now. And We've talked about this a lot on the show. They just don't play defense. I I tweeted out the other day, the D in Iowa stands for defense. In case you missed the joke, there's no D in Iowa. So they're they're struggling. They're still an incredible team because they can score in so many ways and get the ball down low to probably the best center in the nation. And they shoot threes like mad, but they don't play defense. So when the shots aren't falling, they will lose. And it's not looking good for them. Yeah, it really isn't. The, really, the, the shooting percentages and, and really both of these games um, from beyond the arc for Iowa was 14 of 32. So not the worst, um, you could possibly say. Uh, 11 of 17 from the free throw line. So, I mean, could have been a little bit better. Not saying it was the main difference in this game since Ohio State shot very similar percentages, the exact same mark uh, from beyond the arc and just a little bit better from inside the arc and then against Indiana, uh, which is a little bit earlier uh, today as, uh, as we were um, recording an earlier segment um, you'll be listening to later on, uh, Iowa shot eight of 21 uh, from beyond the arc and 11 of 30 from inside the arc. So you can really see where things are going with, with, with Iowa. Sure. It's not terrible, but their defense really needs to uh, get it together for them to really do anything much else. Um, so now to our usual chronological order uh, from Monday, a couple of games we want to mention, Texas Tech 57, Oklahoma 
52. Um, a, a big win, really, and uh, predictions here uh, for me. Uh, but mm-hmm. you look at Oklahoma, I wouldn't say this was the worst thing for, from, from, for Oklahoma. They did get a win on Saturday at home against Iowa State. Any Big Ten team um, should be beating Iowa State at home with the possible exception of Kansas State. Uh, but I don't think Oklahoma's in a bad spot even with this, even with the game against Texas Tech. Um, sure, it sort of halts, halts momentum a, a little bit, uh, but I really think that it may have been even a good thing for them to, um, for, to not get that game since we had talked last week about Oklahoma perhaps peaking a bit too early, and I think the jury is still out on that. A couple of big games coming up for them in the near future against West Virginia and Texas. So if they pick one of those up, I think any talks at that point need to end. But a really good win for Texas Tech here. Yeah, it was. And they got a little bit of help from Davion Harmon, only going 4-15 from the floor. But that Texas Tech, like I've said, they play games where they go absolutely ballistic on offense. And then we know they're a defensive-reliant team. So they showed it in this game against Oklahoma. They're such a good team. Uh, I know that you're a huge Chris Beard fan. It's hard not to be. Uh, This team has Final Four potential. In Oklahoma, you know, after that huge week, Suffered a bit of a tough loss, a little bit of a wake-up call. Only scoring 18 points in the first half is not going to get it done against Texas Tech. Let's move on. Miami of Florida, of course, 77, Duke 75. This was the last thing Duke needed, to, to be perfectly clear. Uh, you know, build a little bit of momentum at home, get short of Tech and Clemson, okay, maybe something's going right. And then this loss happened. This was the absolute last thing uh, that Duke needed here Uh Really, a complete disaster, really, for Duke, I, I think, here. It's the right term to use. It really is. And their starters played well offensively. It's just the defense was terrible against Miami, allowing them to score 44 points in the second half. Like, what? It, it was shocking because Miami was just going to the hoop on every single play, and Duke just could not do anything to stop it. Uh, I mean, we're going to talk about Duke a little bit later, but they are in such a bad spot right now. They're – in last week's episode, I said they, they're looking like a tournament team. And, of course, that's just not true anymore. But got to give a lot of credit to Miami. It's tracking for Duke, and they trapped them. Yeah, they, 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 they really did. And, and Duke against North Carolina as well. Let's talk about that real briefly here. A 91-87 game in favor of North Carolina. This is a very typical Duke-North Duke, Carolina game. Very close. Um, both of these teams have their opportunities to uh, – really take advantage of what they were given, but North Carolina really controlled this game. And if you have control in a rivalry game like this, chances are you're going to win that game. And this is exactly what happened uh, for North Carolina. And if you look at North Carolina, I mean, you could make the argument that they, they really needed this win as well. Now 12 and six and seven and four uh, in the ACC. And maybe Miami, on Monday, traps North Carolina. We'll have to see. Uh, but a, a, a rivalry game that, once again, whipped up to the billing. Yeah, I, this is definitely one of the best rivalries in sports. Once again, lived up to the hype. Offense was solid. Having six guys in double figures, you're going to win a lot of games. And Duke played well, I thought, in this game offensively. I mean, they scored 87 points. But Matthew Hurt didn't play too well. He was got in foul trouble in UNC really took advantage of that, fouled out eventually, only got 21 minutes in. Big win for UNC because they're kind of on the bubble. I 
I mean, God forbid if I lose this again. I, they're a tournament team. They are a tournament team. Do not, I'm saying this to the gods above me, do not <laughs> let me go 0 for 2 on this, please. Uh, but UNC, I mean, at 12 and 6, 7 and 4 in the ACC, really starting to play well. I think they're certainly a tournament team. And then it'd be really funny if the same team made you over to with Miami, Florida. So that is going to be a quite interesting one uh, coming up this coming Monday. Uh, of course, for some of you, that one may be done by the time you're listening to this. Uh, moving on to Tuesday, uh, Baylor, 83, Texas, 69. Really good stuff here uh, from Baylor. There were some moments where it was rather interesting where Texas made things very tight. But a 12-2 run towards the early parts of the second half. And after that, it was pretty much done after that. And we were talking a little bit earlier. And you think that Baylor now has done enough uh, to surpass Gonzaga in your eyes. Yes, they will be the number one team in my top 25 when I put it out on Sunday night. So I think that they've done enough. I mean, their, their defense is so stifling, and they shoot like crazy. They're the best three-point shooting team in the country, and they also play insane defense. I, I don't see how I can't do it. We actually watched this game together. I was in downtown Phoenix, so I figured I'd stop by, watch the caliber of this game with you. But, I mean, Texas was right there with them. Greg Brown had a nice dunk poster to do on, on Baylor and looked at him, teed him up, ref teed him up, and from that point on, the, the game wasn't close again. Baylor's so good. Yeah, I, they're. It's not even a bad loss if you're Texas, and then I mean what they did on Saturday was not did not help them, but Baylor's so good. Uh, they're they're my favorite to win the national championship right now. That's why they're going to be my number one team. Yeah, I mean it, it really is hard to argue with a team that is top is number three in both adjusted offensive and defensive efficiency. That you mentioned the best three point shooting team number three in effective field goal percentage, number four in offensive rebound percentage on the offensive side of the ball, and defensively, the number three turnover percentage in the country. About the only mark uh, that Baylor can improve on is defensively the offensive rebound percentage at 29.8%, 246 in the country. Outside of that, that's it. And maybe shoot the free throw a little bit better around 70% right now. If that goes up a little bit, I mean, God help the rest of the country. Since I mean, this is a team that has the formula of a national champion. It really does. And if Gonzaga wasn't undefeated, Baylor and my eyes would be unanimous, number one. So that's 100%. how good this Baylor team is. Jared, um, Jared Butler for National Player of the Year. Uh, real, do it. Just do it. Butler. Yeah, real quickly, uh, Texas, Oklahoma State on Saturdays. We are on the topic of Texas. A double overtime loss, which was a thriller on on ABC, which, by the way, ESPN, if you're listening, please put more college basketball games on ABC. Thank you. Um, which would really help the exposure of college basketball on your TV contracts. Thank you. Uh, but what a win for Oklahoma State. Um, and maybe a match is off of the NCAA. Please don't assign Oklahoma State's case before March. Thank you. Uh, since Oklahoma State... You imagine Kate Cunningham in the NCAA tournament and what a draw that would be um, for whichever network gets Oklahoma State uh, on their air. But a really a thrill of a game, and Oklahoma State really just blew by Texas. 
in the second overtime. Very similar, by the way, uh, as far as game track um, to Indiana and Wisconsin back on January 7th. Indiana had the opportunity, uh, and they got blow by here uh, in that second overtime. Uh, difference here is that uh, the team that really you could say that wasn't favored in the case of Oklahoma State actually got the job done here in this one. Yeah, and Oklahoma State's defense stifled Texas's offense all day, and especially in overtime. Texas only recorded one field goal in both overtimes, and that was like a layup. So, Kate Cunningham did not play well in this game. Five of 22 from the floor, had multiple turnovers. He had not a good game by any stretch of the imagination. Yet, Oklahoma State was still able to pull off a victory against a very good Texas team. That speaks volumes to how good this Oklahoma State team is. And free throws weren't a problem for Texas. They had been a problem in a couple of their games recently. They went 22 of 27. So you, you can't look at that. I think their offense is starting to come back down to earth. I don't know if this is a top 10 team anymore, but they're certainly a really good team. The offense needs to get it going again. Uh, Illinois over Indiana in overtime on Tuesday, 75 71 and I mean, we, we both talk about Indiana as this team that you know roll the dice and see which team shows up um obviously you could say a lot but about Illinois you know getting the win first off I think that is a huge thing uh, for any team really if you're trying to get a two-seater or even try to push upward uh toward that last uh number one seat available uh but in this game we mentioned Iowa Indiana a little bit earlier in these two games, Indiana showed what they were capable of. If they do this consistently, they're in. And I'm not sure there's any argument about that. The problem is that this team is sort of kind of inconsistent. You know, roll the dice and see which team you get. If Archie Miller gets this team consistently going, there is no argument about where Indiana is going, and that is dancing uh, in the NCAA tournament ballroom. Really, at a you look, I think this might be one of the better weeks Indiana's had in quite some time, even though it was a one-on-one -on -one week. Yeah, and you know what the sign of being an inconsistent team is? Not good coaching. And that's been a trend here in Indiana. So I think that's telling they played well. But the fact that Illinois was able to win out on the road against a team like Indiana with Ayodesumu in foul trouble ended up fouling out. I think speaks a lot to how good this team can be. And they got contributions from a lot of different players. Kofi Coburn got 16 points, 10 rebounds here. Io only scored 10 points. Trent Frazier has been so good lately. Andre Curbelo, he gives valuable minutes off the bench as that's sort of that backup point guard. This team is loaded. They are trending in the right direction. Similar to Oklahoma, hopefully they aren't peaking too early. Uh, USC 72, Stanford 66. Obviously a big win for USC, and you include that with the Chosen's win over UCLA. It's going to make the Pac-12 title race fascinating because now it's a dead heat atop the Pac-12. That is going to be fascinating to watch as, both, as those teams take on the same teams every week. Uh, but to talk about USC Stanford in particular, and really more so on Stanford's side of things, Stanford, the team that you include – um, a win against California on Thursday. I'll get them again Sunday um, before we, before the show goes out. 11 and seven, seven and five in the conference. Solid defense. Offense leaves a, a lot to be desired. I think the Stanford Cardinal 
really just need to focus on winning. Um, just trying to get every game you can uh, and really avoiding bad losses. And there's plenty of those yet on the schedule. As I speak, Cal at home, a uh, couple games against Washington. You can make the case that Utah at home, maybe a loss that you don't want to pick up. Oregon State at home at the very end of the regular season as it's scheduled. There are still some landmines that Stanford needs to get through. Uh, if they get through those, I think Stanford should be in the tournament. Um, they do have um, some decent wins within the conference. Uh, they, they blew a couple of chances to um, get a win and not covered, but a win against Alabama to start the year on a neutral floor. What a win that is looking uh, for Stanford. I think that might be the one that pushes them over the edge. It could be, and it really shouldn't because that's the first game of the season. However, they have been playing without Jair, uh, Jair Williams for a, little, for a little long time. He's their best player. I mean, Oscar De Silva is really good too, but when he comes back, I think this team could be really good. And like you said, they've got a couple of games left on the schedule where you're like, all right, you got to avoid the losses here. Only three more road games on the year. Washington, who's not very good. Washington State, who's also not very good. And then USC, that's obviously a really tough game. If they can find a way to pick that game up, that's absolutely incredible for them. Like I said last week, I think this is a tournament team. They have work to do. I'm not as confident in it like Duke. But Stanford has some work to do. They need to find a way to just avoid the bad losses because they got Colorado at home later this next week. So if they can win that game, they're putting themselves in a good spot. Let's move on to Wednesday as a whole, because Wednesday as a whole was absolutely chaotic. Um, and really five um, massive upsets on the day. St. John 70, Villanova 55, TCU 81, Oklahoma State 78, South Carolina 72, Florida 66, Georgetown 86, Creighton 75, and even LaSalle getting in on the action, 82-75 win over St. Louis. Virginia Tech taking it out to Pittsburgh, 83-72. A lot happening um, in the world of college basketball on Wednesday. And even, let's put Houston, East Carolina in this conversation. East Carolina, 82, Houston, 73. All kinds of upsets are happening on Wednesday. What is your biggest upset of the day? Georgetown winning at Creighton. Well, I mean, it's it's East Carolina, but Houston's fine. I'm not concerned about them. To me, it was really Georgetown winning at Creighton because Georgetown, without a doubt, one of the worst teams in the Big East, despite the fact that they've been playing better basketball as of late, but they're second to last in the standings. Huge win for them. And obviously it doesn't matter because they're not a tournament team, but for Creighton to lose at home, to Georgetown is just so mind-bogglingly bad. I don't know how this happens. And I've said it so many times, Creighton's ceiling is so high, like Final Four high. But at the same time, they could also be a four, five, or six seed and lose in the first round. So Creighton's got a lot of work to do. That offense has so many guys that can go to the score. And I don't know how they don't just consistently win because they should easily be the second-best team in the Big East, yet they – they aren't. I mean, they are, but like they aren't easily. I'm going to go with LaSalle St. Louis. Uh, and you, and we've mentioned this scenario for the Atlantic 10 before of just disaster. And that is a one bid league, man, did that reality start to uh, perhaps sink in a little bit for the Atlantic 10 after this one. Um, 
St. Louis recovered nicely getting their first conference win of the year. So they've had so many cancellations, um, really, and, and they should get to the uh, 13 game mark, which is the uh, standard set uh, by the ATAA. But you look at this conference and it is absolutely crowded at the top. St. Bonaventure at seven and two, VCU, Davidson, and UMass are all at six and two in the A10. Richmond, they've a couple fewer games, but four and two, they're right there as well. And if St. Louis can turn it on, they could be in the conversation as well. But I think the time for that may be too late because of games not being played for them. All kinds of chaos is happening in the Atlantic 10 right now. And I've mentioned this before where this conference needs a team or two to stand out from the rest. And guess what? That's not happening. When Davidson and UMass are being blurred into the picture, it doesn't spell good things for the A-10 at, at its current pace. Now, if Davidson, if, if Davidson can be in a position to where they can win out, they got two games against VCU on the schedule, one of which we will predict coming up later on in the show. If Davidson can sweep VCU and not take a bad loss, we could be at the point where Davidson is a bubble team. Uh, but I really don't think the A-10 needs that. I think the A-10 needs St. Bonaventure and VCU to stand out from the rest and really make it hard for anyone else to beat them. That is the formula for the A-10 because you get a couple of solid at-large teams, you're in a good spot because the A-10 tournament, the last several times it has happened, has been known for chaos and bit stealing. So the A-10 with that sort of stigma is in a decent spot. They need teams to stand out from the rest, though, in that conference to get into an at-large position. I think that is the biggest thing the Atlantic 10 Conference needs. Uh, let's move on a little bit here to a big series in the mid-major land, and that was South Dakota, South Dakota State in the Summit League. The picture now is this. They split. They split games uh, between Friday and Saturday, the good news for Don and I is that South Dakota State won the game we had predicted them to win on Saturday. So that was the good news. Uh, but for the seventh league as a whole now, this is a very compelling race between the teams. Uh, South Dakota has played four more conference games than South Dakota State. North Dakota or Roberts, South North Dakota State, the rest of the way. South Dakota State or Roberts, North Dakota State, UMKC, the rest of the way. And South Dakota State in the Summit League has been extremely good over the last four years. They have been a team that has been the standard bearer for this conference. South Dakota has been a program that has been coming up, really. Uh, and we, we mentioned, you know, that it's usually South Dakota State and North Dakota State as the teams that are really fighting for that title. South Dakota is making a big statement. And that is a big credit to Todd Lee, his third year as coach of South Dakota. Had to get through a couple of years of mediocrity in the Summit League, but he has this team ready to play. And big credit to him. Um, just your sort of your thoughts on where that Summit League title race is headed right now. Well, I mean, I think those are the two best teams in the conference right now. It is important to note that South Dakota faces North Dakota State to end the season. And North Dakota State, like you mentioned, they're always good. They are nine and three on the year in conference. So they're, they're certainly right there alongside those teams. They do have a couple of games that they could slip up with because they also play South Dakota state the week before that. So it, this, 
this conference is fascinating because for the first time, it feels like there's three teams that could win the conference tournament to get in because neither of these teams are going to be at-large teams. But getting that one seed is important because the two and the three seeds will then, of course, face off in the semifinals. You just got to beat one of those teams to make it to the dance, not two. That's crucial. Right. And, and really, I mean, you, you look at it one bit like that, you gotta get your, you're got you just hoping your best team gets in. And just to mention it real quickly, another title race that I'm fascinated by is the Southland Conference. We mentioned this in prior weeks. So this is a conference that for a little bit of time is getting a little poached by other conferences. But this year is one heck of a race. San Houston State, Abilene Christian, Stephen F. Austin, and Nichols. All the chance at this. And Sam Houston got a huge win against Nicholas on Saturday to put them over the top right now at 8-1. and one. Abilene Christian and Stephen F. Austin have the one less game played uh, in the Southland, but a huge title race going on there. I thought I would mention that real quickly. Uh, and then on Saturday, a uh, big game between Alabama and Missouri. Missouri 68, Alabama 65. But you, you look at that score overall, that's not going to tell the story because Alabama – they really gave it a great shot late in the second half. They were getting dominated uh, by Missouri for a good period of time. And this is a Missouri team that shot three of 20 from three, by the way, in this game. So it really just tells you that Alabama shooting-wise didn't have it going. And they gave it a great shot of this. That's a big credit there to Alabama. But for Missouri, this is a big win for them in the SEC race. And I think really almost every other SEC team is going to thank them for this because there is a, still a big distance between Alabama and the rest of the SEC and a very crowded SEC, I might say. So for Missouri, this is a big win really separate themselves from a big crowd of teams from them all the way down to Georgia. You can maybe even put Kentucky at four and six. A big crowd there that's about a two-game gap, two-and-a-half-game gap in the case of Missouri. So a uh, Huge win for Missouri to talk about the SEC. Yeah, this conference is weird. I Alabama's, I think, clearly the best team. But at the same time, their shot selection has been weird because we know that they they take a lot of threes, they take a lot of layups, which are good quality shots. But lately, it's just been contested threes and contested layups. And they're not taking good quality of shots, open shots. And it started to haunt them. Their offense has certainly gone down. At one point last week, they were a top 10 team offense and defensive efficiency. They're now 33rd in adjusted offense. They're now second in adjusted defense. So the defense is really what's prevailing for Alabama and what's keeping them in it. So I think they're still a really good team. I think they're going in a good spot. Jordan Bruner has missed a lot of games recently. When he comes back, this team could be even better. And I don't even think Herb Jones is playing 100% healthy. So Alabama, I still think they're a really good team. Still could be Final Four caliber, but they're they're starting to show some uh, some weakness in their armor. Yeah, and, and for Alabama, I would really encourage sort of a caution here because Alabama in February over the past four seasons, and maybe now this one as well, not been kind. Uh, Alabama in February, um, only one 500 finish in the month that came in 2018-19. So are we seeing a similar situation beginning to unfold? Because before Alabama gave us like, a great shot, Alabama was in, they were in trouble, deep trouble. 
And I would really say that Alabama, this is really the one monkey that they need to get off their back in a hurry is this February woes. Again, last four seasons, it's not been kind. Maybe this was the same fate. And if that's the case, maybe there is a chance for some of the other teams in the SEC. But right now, I mean, Alabama, to me, get the February monkey off your back in a hurry. Because if you don't, there could be some trouble rising quickly uh, for, for Alabama. I think that's something that needs to be uh, worth keeping an eye on as we go on into the future weeks, which for many teams across the country are going to be at the utmost critical stages. And of course, the buzzword, resume. And we have someone with that is going to join us with more on that. Joining us now to discuss more of the big resume discussions is Keith Dotley. He is one of the hosts of Triple Threat, a show on Blaze Radio Wednesdays at 3 o'clock, and he is joining us now. Keith, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Getting excited to chop it up and talk about some resumes. So the first thing I want to mention here is Creighton. Now, you had tweeted uh, a few days ago just um, some of the uncertainties that Creighton is going on and the fact that they may need some help from other teams to boost their own resume. And since I have it in front of me, just some of the teams that, you know, for me anyway, to keep an eye on uh, Xavier and St. John's, two of them in particular uh, that could very well be uh, on the edge of games being quad one or quad two. What do you make of it? Yeah. So Creighton's in a really weird spot right now. Um, a couple of days ago, they looked like they were in good shape. You know, they had that loss at Butler that was at the time a quad three loss, but you're missing Marcus Zagorowski. But then you get him back and lose to Providence, which is another quad three loss. This team a couple of nights ago before they lost to Georgetown had a pretty good resume. I mean, they had four quad one wins at the time. They only had one loss in quad two. Um, but then when once Providence their skid recently, they now have three quad three losses. Now they're nine and two against the first two quadrants, which looks great. But a team with three quad three losses, especially when they're trying to shoot for that range around four to seven seed, probably even like a five seed is what they're looking at. But with three quad three losses, you have no idea how the committee is going to weigh that. You know, they have the good wins, but I'm just scared that they have too many bad losses at this point to justify a four seed or better. Oh yeah, and and I'm right right there with you on that. And and if and if Butler gets to the point for that position to quad three, that's now four quad three losses, and 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 that's in a Big East to where outside of Villanova and Crane, it's really been a crapshoot. So I, I, that's going to be a resume that I mean, if, if if Creighton wants to get into that range, and and I'm right with you on that, that there that that should be where they are in. That they should be looking at. You got to be rooting for Xavier to get into the top 30 in net. You got to root for St. John's to stay in the top 75 because, I mean, St. John's already, that's one quad one. You push Xavier now into quad one. I think that's going to make a lot of difference. And, of course, you need Butler to stay in that top 135 in net as well. So that is going to be very fascinating to uh, see there. Uh, Let's talk about Houston here um, for a second, a team that – uh, before their loss against East Carolina was fine for one of those number one seeds. After that loss to East Carolina, is that still a possibility for Houston? Yeah, I mean, the other losses that other teams took recently, I mean, Alabama losing at Missouri, which is quad one, 
you know, you still don't want to rack up those losses, especially when you have some bad losses already. And then Villanova losing to St. John's, um, that's also a bad look. But none is, is as bad as losing to this E team that is currently 136th in net. They just need to root like crazy for East Carolina to get in the top 135. So that looks quad two loss. But I mean, if this team wins the American, if they went out, they could still get a one seed. I don't know if it's going to happen because you have teams in the Big Ten racking up a bunch of quad one wins. You have teams in the Big 12 where we're seeing opportunities are plenty there. Uh, but I do think Houston's going to end up on the two or three line. If they close the season really good, maybe stay undefeated until the American championship. I think enough other teams are going to take some more losses that Houston's going to look solid when it's all said and done, but their margin for error just keeps decreasing, especially when you play in an American that's weaker than we're used to seeing. Yeah. And I almost think their margin of error is none unless Boise state enters the top 30 in net as well. That is a crucial one that I think Houston needs to push over into quad one. So, so Houston, they're going to have to root um, like crazy for Boise state and also Wichita state as well. 75th in net. When I printed out the Warren Norton team sheets this morning. So you need that to stay quad two to at least give yourself another win within that second quadrant. I'm going to let Dom chime in a little bit here on this on Houston since it just seems to me like the margin of error right now is none. Exactly what Keith is saying. Yeah, the margin of error is zero because right now the three one seeds are definitely Baylor, Gonzaga, and Michigan. And then the fourth one seed is up for grabs. You've seen teams like Illinois and Ohio State make really good pushes at it lately. Those two teams face off one more time at the end of the regular season. And as we know at the Big Ten, plenty of opportunities to lose games. They're definitely going to need those two teams to drop at least one game going into that matchup and then have not have none of those teams end up winning the Big Ten. We'll also see how Michigan comes out of their quarantine. They'd have to just be terrible coming out of it to lose their one-seed status. I, I think Houston is honestly my favorite, maybe Villanova, uh, outside of those two Big Ten teams in Illinois and Ohio State to get in to push for that one-seed. Uh, let's move on to the Missouri Valley Conference since Drake and Loyola Chicago have, have, have made things an exceptional race over in the AMVC. Of course, Drake, as the recording, uh, undefeated in Loyola Chicago, has been putting in quite the shift uh, themselves. Uh, but let's, let's talk about Drake first. And for the sake of argument, let's say Drake drops one, and that's not a game against Loyola Chicago. Should Drake go through Loyola Chicago, get through them, and then drop one of the others? Where does that leave Drake, Keith? Yeah, um, the series coming up this next weekend against Loyola Chicago is going to tell us a ton about the Missouri Valley as a whole and both of these teams. If Drake sweeps Loyola Chicago, I think they could take two losses and still be in. And those not be great losses because that's going to be two quad one games and they're going to win both of them. They're going to be beated in quad one the rest of the way um, because I don't know that you get another quad one game other than Loyola Chicago and then Missouri Valley, especially with Missouri State slipping, losing to those two teams um, in sweeps in those series. Um, And Loyola Chicago, they're in great shape too. I mean, they could take another loss or two and purely based off computer metrics, they're going to find a way to sneak into the tournament. I mean, People don't realize that team that made the final four in 2018, they finished 31st on Ken Palm. This Loyola Chicago team right now is 13th on Ken Palm ahead of teams like Texas Tech, 
Texas, West Virginia, Creighton, like we mentioned, Oklahoma. These are teams of three, four, five seed range. Texas maybe even a two seed, depending on how you see their resume. And Loyola Chicago is sitting ahead of them. They're also top 15 in the net. I mean, their computer numbers are great. And for the Missouri Valley, a split between Drake and Loyola with their upcoming series may be the best possible thing and then hope they both get to the conference championship game again. And maybe Drake pulls out two of the three and both teams are locked. So the Missouri Valley is in a great spot and it's going to be incredibly compelling to see how it plays out down the yeah. stretch. Yeah, and, I, and I'm right there with you. I think that Drake ultimately needs to get a quad one win. I also think for the sake of argument that Loyola Chicago needs to be rooting for Indiana State. I don't think that Loyola Chicago uh, can really afford yeah. for that game to go into quadrant three, uh, the loss on, on the 10th. I think that that could make things very interesting um, for, Loyola, for Loyola Chicago, a team that I firmly think can take Drake and perhaps beat him twice, which would be huge for Loyola Chicago, uh, which would put them at a two and one in quadrant one. The Ramblers had blown a couple of chances in the non-conference to get some very quality wins. Drake, those would be their first quad one games, period. Um, they didn't quite play uh, the toughest non-conference schedule to the world. Maybe they were thinking that Kansas State was going to be somehow good, but I think we know how that panned out, which was pretty poorly um, for Kansas State. Um, to, to move on here to our next point of, of talk, which is a couple of power conference teams that are somewhere on the outside looking in. One of them is Syracuse. Um, their loss on Saturday against Clemson, I thought they did not need to take. Uh, and that puts them now to 0-4 in Quadrant 1. Uh, a classic-looking bubble resume uh, for the Syracuse or in something we've seen the last few years. Uh, what do you make of this? I'm going to throw this one to Dominic real quick and get his uh, take on Syracuse, and then I'll come back and uh, drop my knowledge. Sounds yeah, good. Sir Syracuse never does themselves any favors. They never pick up the big wins. They'll occasionally pick up some big ones, but looking at the rest of their schedule – they have, an, they have an away game at Louisville. They have an away game at Duke, which doesn't carry as much strength as it normally would. And they have a home game against North Carolina. They don't have that big game left on their schedule, really, to help themselves. They're going to have to really pick up a lot of wins in, like you said, 0-4 in quad one. They're beating the teams they should beat. They're winning games in the Carrier Dome. But it just goes to show you, Syracuse is just never – that competitive team that's always going to like be a lock to make the tournament. They were a couple of years ago when they were an eight seed and they got bounced. I, I don't know what to make of the Syracuse team. Cause they, they beat Virginia tech by 18 and then they got crushed by UVA that next game. So like they never can be consistent so far in the year and they're a tough team to read. They're not doing themselves any favor. And right now I'd lean towards they're not going to make the tournament. Yeah. I would tend to agree with Dominic on this one. Um, I will say they're rooting as hard as anyone for Pitt right now. They have two losses to Pitt, and they got swept by them. Pitt's 76th in the net right now. So if they can get in the top 75, that home loss turns into a quad two loss, and that road loss to quad one loss. But Dominic hit the nail on the head. They need quality wins. And, you know, you have a lot of road games coming up. So you, I think Georgia Tech, Duke, Louisville, and maybe even NC State, when all said and done, those road games – are probably going to be quad one opportunities, but they need to probably win at least three of those. If they win three out of those four, and especially if NC State can get in the 75 in that span, I think they're looking a lot better. But right now, 
they're one in five in the first two quadrants. They've dominated quad three with seven wins there, but this resume is almost like USC's where you have a lot of quad three wins, but they don't have the quality wins up top that USC has to push them into that single digit seed range. And recently when I did my bracketology on Friday, I didn't have Syracuse in the field. And like we said, quality wins are what's going to get them there, but I just don't trust this team and I don't see them getting them. Yeah. And, and Pitts, I think Pittsburgh and NC state, those are two that they need to really shift over into um, the next quadrant. You could also say the same thing about Boston college um, as a, as a, as an away win that could, if it gets into the top 135 for the Eagles, that could push over into quadrant two. So they really need a lot of help from other teams to shift wins into different quadrants and just quality wins overall. I think that is going to be a big thing for them. Penn State, Penn State is one of the weirdest cases to me that I've seen in, in quite a while was with resumes. A team that is faring pretty well in net, a seven and eight overall record. They've played 10 of their 15 games in quadrant one. And that is striking uh, right there. They've, they've played no games in quadrant four and only two games in quadrant three, which is just astonishing to me. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Nittany Lions? They can get above 500, they're in, in my opinion. I mean, this is a team that the metrics really, when they're 29th in the net with a losing record. I mean, that just shows you how good this team is. They're 30th in Kinpom, and they've been competitive in every game, haven't even played a quad four opponent. And you said 10 of their 15 are against quad one. 13 of their 15 are against the first two quadrants. You know, the worst two games they've played are VMI and... I'm struggling to even find the other. Oh, at home in Northwestern, you know, I mean, this is a team that is really quality. They have a couple different guys that can put the ball in the basket. They're solid defensively. And especially given that their coach, Pat Chambers was let go right before the season started. This is a really scrappy bunch and they can just get in the big dance and they'll probably face some easier competition possibly than they've even faced in the big 10 so far. I mean, they faced a gauntlet, but that win against Maryland on Friday was huge. Now that also puts Maryland in jeopardy because if Maryland's above 500, I think they make the tournament. So the Big Ten kind of has to hope that if they're trying to get as many teams as possible, you hope that Penn State can beat a Purdue or a Minnesota. And you just hope that maybe every 10 line has a Big Ten team on it because that's really the only way that you're going to be able to get your Michigans and your Ohio States at the top. And then just have as many teams as possible. So th this Big Ten is crazy, and there's a lot of tournament-caliber teams. It's just, are Maryland and Penn State going to get above 500? Um, Indiana just picked up a huge win over Iowa, so I think they're in good shape. Um, Big Ten is just a free-for-all, and I think we're, we're all loving it as college hoop fans. What yeah. do you think, Dom? Yeah, and their next two games are at Michigan state and home against Nebraska. You got to find a way to pick up both those games. I mean, at Michigan state's not a shoe in because any game on the road of the big 10 is tough. And we've seen some good performances from Michigan state. We've also seen some performances where we're like, why is this a blue blood program? So two games, they could certainly pick up for sure. And then after that, I mean, you got Ohio state, Iowa, Purdue, Minnesota, Maryland, those are not easy games. So the big 10, as we say on here, it's the gauntlet of the Midwest. So it's, it's fascinating for sure. 
It really is. Uh, next point of discussion is the Atlantic 10, which is a conference that has been extremely crazy throughout the course of this season and perhaps hurting itself as well in the, pro- uh, the, in the, in the, in the process. Uh, Richmond, St. Louis, VCU, St. Bonaventure, all four of these teams are, have definitely tried to make a case for themselves. Um, first thing I have to ask you, Keith, is which team of those four do you think is the A-10's best hope to get the at-large player they need to keep their multi-bid streak alive? Isn't that the question we're all asking? I mean, following yesterday, I don't know that any of us even really know because before I would say St. Bonaventure. I mean, their only loss was at Rhode Island and they were looking good. But now when you look at it, St. Louis had a decent um, early season wins over LSU and NC State. The loss to at Minnesota doesn't look bad at all right now. But, you know, you drop a game to Dayton and then you drop a game to LaSalle is really killing the A-10 right now, picking off Richmond and St. Louis. And VCU's on a hot streak right now. Right now, I would say, I'd say St. Louis because I think they have the best player in the league probably in Javante Perkins. And overall, they have a really good team. But I think Richmond's really good too. I mean, the combination of Grant Golden, Jacob Gilliard, I mean, they have some really guys on the squad. and They have the best top tier wins of anyone in the league. But you also have a quad four loss right now. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's just so many different types of resumes in this conference. It's hard to compare them against each other. But I'd say right now I'd still go St. Louis and Richmond. But St. Bonaventure is a threat too. VCU also has a contender for best player in the conference. I'm really just confused by the Atlantic 10. I don't have any team better than a 10 seed right now probably. Um, But if you ask me, I guess my answer would be St. Louis because I trust their personnel more than any other team. Yeah, and really all four of these resumes are just, it, it really is weird. I mean, pretty much everyone uh, have their opportunities in the non-conference with the exception of St. Bonaventure. Um, and, and even then, I mean, you look at St. Bonaventure, you know, get that win at Richmond. That is, that is their lone quad one. And then they had an opportunity to pick another one against St. Louis and failed to get that on Saturday. Richmond, their win against Loyola Chicago. Uh, that looks like a really good win with in regards to the team sheet. And, and VCU had their opportunities. They had they they had three of them in the in the non-conference, and they only picked up the one against Utah State, and that is teetering on quad one, quad two. But at, at the moment, it is a quad one. Uh, I'll, I'll let Dom in, in on this discussion since I mean the A10, something that Dom and I have been talking about for a while, and we mentioned the um, marquee a10 games it is cannibalizing itself and it's something i'm afraid could leave this conference out of the multi-bid discussions for the first time in years when when there's been a tournament um it it really is a case of i mean who's gonna show up it's it's unbelievable what this conference has turned into dom yeah i think they're teetering on the point of coming to a point where there's no like non uh where there's no at-large teams coming in like it, it's got some ways to go and they've got some leeway with teams like st louis and maybe st bonaventure but it's getting close to where if those teams drop a couple more games if the bottom keeps eating at the top and those top teams keep looking worse there's a legit possibility where if say like st louis loses in the first round of the a10 tournament they don't get in as an at-large team which would be absolutely wild because this conference is way better than that but They've got four top teams. They just need to stay up at the top. And I think that this still could be 
two teams, but there also could only be one if something happens. It's just absolutely yeah. wild. But yeah. it's college basketball, so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna doubt anything. Yeah, I mean it's been something I've been saying for weeks that that conference just needs to find a team that can rise above the top, and so far. It hasn't happened. Um, and also the Mountain West, something more of uh, Dawn's wheelhouse with with really the top four teams in the conference. Uh, you look at Boise State, Colorado State, Utah State, and also San Diego State. They're, they're all right there in the top 50 in net. And, and every single one of them has sort of their positives and and even some negatives. But, but really the one thing that I think is very important for all of these teams is that there are there are some quality wins uh, that this team that these teams have um, really for Keith really same thing uh, as the A10 but really modified since the eight, Mountain West has proven really its quality. How many bids does the Mountain West get come Selection Sunday? That's a great question. I mean, I think at least two. I would say because I think either Boise State or Colorado State finds a way. To, to get in there, um, Boise State, I would say, is close to a lock before – or a really good chance to get in before yesterday where you had Nevada beat them by two on Nevada's home court. Um, and now Boise State, a team that had two quad one wins and their two quad one losses were at Houston and then at Colorado State, which the margin of victory on that game was bad, but – you had some good road wins over BYU and they also had that win at Colorado state, which is looking really good right now, but their last four games of the season are going to tell us a lot. They play Utah state twice at home and then they play at San Diego state twice. I think San Diego state's the best team in this league, their defense that they, they play really good team ball and they they're just deeper than the rest of the guys. I mean, I think Derek Alston is probably better than any player that San Diego state state have between Matt Mitchell, Jordan Shackle, Nathan Mensa. I mean, the list goes on and on. And Brian Dutcher's a great coach we've seen over the past two years. So I think San Diego State showed how good they are in that series with Wyoming, where their margin of victory was astronomical. So I think San Diego State definitely gets in. I think Boise State ekes it out over Colorado State. And then we could even have a bid thief there. You know, if, if San Diego State loses in the conference semifinals and then Boise State makes it to the finals and takes a quad one loss there to a Utah State or a Colorado State, um, I think there's a real possibility that we do get three teams in from the Mountain West and a small percentage of four. But, I mean, this is a great conference and it's been entertaining to watch all year long in those last couple of weeks of the season to be really important and seeing how many bids this league. Yeah, it really is. And, and San Diego state, I think is a really good example of a, of a team that did schedule pretty solid, but has had some teams, I mean, not in the case of UCLA, since they're kind of on the border, I think that one, if they get some quad one to really help San Diego state, but in the case of their game on Arizona state, I mean, the Sentinels were, were a team that was expected to be really good. And, and now we're talking about and, and that win I mean, if ASU performs worse than what they have been, we're talking about that game falling to quad three when we could have been talking about early in the year about that being a quality win. So, I mean, that is, that's a big example of, you know, scheduling that. You schedule in the best intention possible, but you can't really plan for teams uh, really disappointing, quite frankly. And I know the Mountain West is right in Dom's wheelhouse, so I'll let him talk a little bit about, about the conference as a whole, really, when it comes to resumes. 
Yeah, I think San Diego State's done a good job so far. I think they're a lock. Uh, they haven't been able to face the weak part of the Mountain West yet. That's what their next upcoming schedule is. Uh, New Mexico ended up basically canceling the series due to some weird COVID concerns, which was either a good thing or a bad thing for San Diego State because you avoid the possibility of just suffering an absolutely terrible loss for your resume, but you also avoid the opportunity to beat up New Mexico by like 30, which is what they did to both against Wyoming and Air Force teams that hadn't lost by like 30 all year in Mountain West Conference play. And then Colorado State is a weird team because they won at San Diego State after being down by 26. They were able to pick off a game against Boise State in that blowout game. And they haven't really faltered anywhere else besides that one game at Utah State. But they also picked up a game against Utah State. And Utah State beat San Diego State twice, hasn't played Boise State twice. So the Mountain West is really weird because it seems like the top is kind of eating at each other just a little bit. And the bottom teams... Uh, we're able to take a bite at Utah State because UNLV beat Utah State and Colorado State, of course, they're, they're yet to do that. So I, I, I don't know what to make of it because I think two teams will get in for sure. A third team could sneak in uh, depending on how Utah State fares against Boise at the end of the season, how Boise State fares against both Utah State and San Diego State. And then if Colorado State can somehow win the conference tournament, I think they could get in. They're certainly capable. I mean, they've shown they've beaten the top three teams in this conference at least once. So it's weird. I think San Diego State's the only lock at this point. Utah State and, and Boise State are right there. And then Colorado State certainly has the potential to steal the bid. All right. So so first off, the big games on Saturday of some, some Dom and I usually um, discussed, and I'll let you in on this conversation as well, Keith. Uh, who did themselves the biggest favor on Saturday resume-wise? Yeah, um, there's a couple teams. So I will say today on Sunday, Indiana, Armand Franklin with the game winner, like I mentioned, huge. Gets them a second quad one win. They keep a little bit above 500. Um, Also, Seton Hall getting the win at UConn. That's a quad one win that they needed. I had them as a team in the last four in, maybe my last team in, I think, if I remember correctly. And then you also look at a team like USC where that, that really bad loss that they suffered to let me pull up the team for a second. Yeah, that loss to Oregon State that moved up into the quad two territory. And then they get a win against UCLA. They got the win against Stanford early this week. So they're sitting at three quad one wins now, and they don't have any quad three losses. They're undefeated there. Um, but one team, this team is a loser and a winner. And I think it's very interesting when we look at Texas. So I personally am a Texas fan. Uh, I'm going to admit that straight up. Uh, that's my favorite team for as long as I've lived on this earth. Um, but they lost at Oklahoma State. Quad one loss, double OT. Margin of victory wasn't, or margin of defeat, I mean, wasn't great. But when you look at what other teams on their schedule did this week, um, in terms of UNC getting that quad one win against Duke, moving firmly into the top 50 and then Indiana staying in that top 50 and they're probably going to move up now beating that really good Iowa team that we just talked about. This is a team now that I think they're going to solidly stand for quad one wins going into the tournament. And then they have plenty of opportunities to build on that. So, you know, you do suffer four out of five losing four out of five, but 
they're all quad one losses and your resume is solidified and Davidson keeps inching up. So if they could get to top 50, that's five quad one wins that you have so far. And they're going to have plenty of opportunities down the backstretch. And, you know, they're really competing for a two right now. So um, this is really interesting when we look at resumes because Texas, you would say, oh, they're a loser. They've lost four out of five, but no, other teams are doing work for them to solidify them. Whereas other teams in their territory have games slipping into lower quadrants. So Texas in a weird way, along with Seton Hall and Indiana, like I mentioned, big winner in my opinion. So yeah. What are y'all's guys takes on that? I was definitely going to say Seton Hall, that win against UConn, which of course, in my opinion, carries a little less weight because James Booknight is still not playing. But for them, they were, I think, eight and eight. And then now, no, they were nine and eight. And they've won their last two at Providence and then this big win against UConn. That certainly helps them. I think they're the fourth best team in the Big East behind a UConn with James Booknight and Creighton and Villanova. So that win was certainly big for them. I think St. John's is, is slowly creeping up towards potentially being a tournament team. They beat Villanova earlier this week and they just keep finding ways to win it's incredible because they've now won six straight games including a win against UConn DePaul they beat up DePaul they won at Marquette they beat Villanova and they dropped 92 points at Providence so they've got a long way to go but they're now at 13 and 7 they suffered some bad losses early on but if they keep finding ways to win I think they can find themselves in the tournament picture. So I think they're big winners too. And, and I'll tell you who really wants that to happen. That's Creighton for their own resume. We discussed that earlier and just how important that is for teams like St. John's and, and even Xavier to kind of to keep getting better and, and keep making that Creighton resume uh, just a little bit better uh, on that. And I think you guys pretty much nailed a lot of the big talking points there. And really just for any bubble team right now, just stay in the course and keep on winning that's going to help you out tremendously. And, and in the case of, of North Carolina, they definitely um, did themselves a nice favor there uh, with, with that win over Duke. Um, we'll, we'll get to Duke in a little bit just briefly, but I, I definitely like uh, what, what they did. Of course, winning that game, that big rivalry game, that is huge because that game can go any sort of way. And it did that, and it did exactly that. Uh, but at the end of the day, all that matters in the resume is they get the job done and exactly what they did. Uh, who hurt their cause the most on Saturday, resume-wise, guys? Well, I'll start with Iowa because they've now – they're just in a free-for-all. They've lost three of their last four, and their win is against Michigan State, who is not that good. So their their losses, of course, were, were good losses. And, I mean, that's normally the case when you play in the Big Ten. Or Sorry, they've lost four of the last five. Ken Palm hasn't updated the score. So they've lost four of the last five. They're certainly kind of a free-for-all. We kind of knew this would come, given the fact that their defense is just absolutely abysmal. But I, I certainly wouldn't have expected an offense of this caliber to lose four of their last five. So they got to pick it up. They got a game against Rutgers at home uh, on Wednesday, and then they play Michigan State on the weekend. So they can certainly pick up those two games and get back in the swing of things. They're obviously a really good team. They're going to be a top-four seed for sure, but you'd rather be a two- or a three-seed than be a four-seed get stuck with that weird matchup against uh, a 13 or a 12 seed. So that that's what I'm looking at for Iowa. Yeah, I definitely agree. Iowa is in a free throw right now. And a lot of people around the country who don't pay a ton of attention are probably saying, what's going on here? Well, their defense 
like you said, abysmal. I mean, if you look at Kim Palm, they're a hundred right now. They were in the seventies, eighties earlier, earlier this year. And now they just can't stop anybody. Um, and then another team that we mentioned, Boise state that lost to Nevada is not good at all. Cause they were a team that pride themselves on not having any bad losses. But now when you look at it, UCLA was the loser for me. Um, last night on Pac-12 after dark, they lose by 18 at USC. And yeah, that's one win. Uh, USC's 16th in the net, but this is a team that needs quality wins. I mean, and they've been blown out in most of their opportunities. I mean, you lose by 15 at San Diego State. You're not that competitive against Ohio State on a neutral. Um, you lose on a buzzer beater to Stanford and then get killed at USC. Um, and this is a team that down the street, they're going to have opportunities. I mean, you play Arizona at home, which honestly may be more of a trap than an advantage because that's quad two game and it's probably going to stay that way. But they end the season at Colorado and at home against USC. But they're a team right now, they don't have any bad losses, but they're only three and four against the top two quadrants. I mean, they haven't really taken advantage of their opportunities thus far this year. And 10 of their games are against bottom two quadrants, all those being wins. So no bad losses, but they really need some more meat to their resume. And they're only going to have two or three real opportunities to do that before the Pac-12 tournament. So, you know, if we find ourselves in a situation with UCLA where they lose those last two games of the year against Colorado and USC, and maybe they drop one earlier and then they get bounced early in the Pac-12 tournament, there's a scenario where UCLA doesn't even make the tournament. So they need to take advantage of those opportunities. And Saturday was an opportunity for that and they just squandered it. So yeah, McCronin's got to do a job with his guys and get them on the right track coming in into late February. Yeah. My big loser is say Bonaventure. We talked about the murder. They had another opportunity to get a quadrant one win. Um, didn't get the job done. And even worse for the A-10 really that is a quad two game for St. Louis. So it's just really speaking to uh, the A-10 that, I mean, you, you need to get those quad one teams. You're an A-10 team. Uh, and St. Bonaventure didn't do it on Saturday. So really, I, we talked about it a lot. I think all the A-10 teams at the top are going to have to be going about their business really carefully um, to try to get any sort of business done there. Uh, Finally, I want to I mention Duke. Um, Obviously, their loss against North Carolina, that did not do them any favors. Do you see any path for them um, to, to get a bid outside of winning the ACC tournament? Yeah, right now, it's just not looking likely. I mean, this is a team that they needed at least a solid win. And I mean, a quad two win would do a lot for them because they'd be three and one in the second quadrant, but now three losses in the first quadrant, two in the second, two in the third. This is a team where, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, they, they just need some quality wins. Well, they have bad losses right now. I mean, you take the top three quadrants and they're five and seven there. I mean, they played a decent strength of schedule because they canceled some of those non-con games against weaker competition. But the, the, this team right now, you know, lost five out of their last seven and they're just not getting any better and they're not getting blown out, but you need wins. And their only real opportunities left are against Virginia and Louisville and at Georgia Tech and at North Carolina. And I can't say with certainty right now that Duke is better than any of those teams. So I, I don't know how I expect them to get those wins and they probably need at least two or three of those. And I just don't see it as a possibility 
What do you think? No, and I infamously said on our last show that I think Duke is trending towards being a tournament team. Then they lose at Miami, which of course was a trap game, uh, coming off a huge win and then facing North Carolina later in the week. I mean, that, that's like the definition of a trap team. I'm like, oh, you know, they can still beat North Carolina and uh, things could go well for them. They didn't. So they're, they're in trouble. Uh, I'll take my L from what I said last week. But that loss to Michigan State looks worse and worse every single week. And I just don't know where this Duke team goes from here. They just don't really have that shot creator. I mean, Matthew Hurt can knock him down, but he doesn't necessarily have that shot creator in him. And we've seen that with some teams this year. And all the blue bloods just keep struggling. Duke is part of the epitome of that. Yeah, I, I can't see it outside of winning out of the regular season. I, I cannot see it happening for Duke. And I mean, and it really is, it's a shame for college basketball since, you know, when you get all those blue bloods in the NCAA tournament, it makes it better, uh, quite frankly. And, you know, I, I know many people say what they want about 2020, but you got to include 2020-21 season in there as well. I mean, it's been Quite the weird year. Uh, for If you want to listen to more of uh, Keith Stotlate's takes, you can listen to Triple Threat on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com every Wednesday starting at 3 o'clock. Thank, Keith, we thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was fun to nerd out with you all over some resumes. And, uh, yeah, like you said, Triple th- on Blaze Radio, I have two great co-hosts, Ty Conrad and Harris Hicks, and we have a good time. We love our college basketball, and uh, we try to entertain the listeners. Yeah, guys, thank you so much. We always appreciate other people's insight here on the program. Let's hand out now our weekly awards. Of course, as usual, our team of the week, mid-major of the week, and our individual performance of the week. I'm going to let you start off this week with your team of the week. We'll go with USC. They were 2-0 this week. They won at Stanford and picked up a key victory in their rivalry game against UCLA. They're now looking like they could be the best team in the Pac-12. They're certainly going to be ranked this week. They got in my top 25 vote. I think the past two weeks, I certainly know I gave them a vote last week. No, it was just last week. But I had them at 19 last week. They're going to certainly go up. They could certainly be a top 15, maybe get close to a top 10 vote for me because a lot of the teams at the top lost. Yeah, I'm going to go with Clemson this week. Uh, big bounce back week for them. North Carolina and Syracuse um, was, was their opponents, and they dispatched those teams uh, pretty easily, especially in the case of the Syracuse game on Saturday. Now 12-5, and 6-5 in the ACC uh, coming into Saturday. Clemson was an eight seed in the bracket matrix. I think they could be going up a little bit uh, in there, maybe trying to get into a seven spot. We'll have to see uh, where that is and where the minds of the collective bracketologist uh, stands with that. Mid-major of the week, I'm going with Belmont, uh, 2-0. and uh, And it really wasn't close in really either of these games. So Belmont is in a very interesting spot at 20-1 and overall and 14-0 and in the OVC. This is a team that, you want to look at a team that can raise all kinds of heck on offense, look no further than the number two effective field goal shooting team in the country. Uh, and three-point percentage, 37%, not bad. Their two-point percentage is number two in the country at 62.2%. They are dominating the Ohio Valley Conference. There's a big credit to them. Uh, there will probably still be plenty of doubts whether this team can actually make some sort of run of it 
um, in March as far as upset is concerned. But, you know, if it wasn't for a dominating loss that they took back to number fifth against Sanford, Belmont is undefeated and really making a lot of noise. And I think they're making a lot of noise anyway. So big credit to Belmont. It's been now about two months since they took that loss or a little over two months since they took that loss, their long loss of the season. And since then, it's been nothing but pure dominance. See, it's funny because my mid-major of the week is also a team from the Ohio Valley Conference, and it's a team they faced on Saturday in a very pivotal matchup for seeding purposes in the Ohio Valley Conference. They'll also face them later on in the year. It's Moorhead State. They picked up two big wins against two of the traditionally best teams in the Ohio Valley Conference, beating both Murray State and Austin P. Now this year, those two teams aren't quite as good as where they normally are. Uh, Murray State being six and seven this year, and Austin P being seven and five this year in the Ohio Valley Conference. But still, for Moorhead State, normally not that team that's like those teams at the top of this conference. For them to get over those teams this week was certainly big for them. They are an interesting team to watch because they also have not lost in 2021. Their last loss coming to Clemson on December on December. 21st so i think they're an interesting team to watch for sure yeah they really are and murray state and also be having some disappointing seasons allowed a couple of different programs to really step into the conversation and moorhead state is one of them you know it's been since 2017 when they've had a 500 year in the ohio valley conference and that was coach preston sprontland's first year with the program since then it's been several struggle years but Moorhead State definitely making some noise in the Ohio Valley Conference. Finally, our individual performance of the week. I'm going with Miles McBride, Deuce McBride against Kansas. Uh, he had an exceptional game against the Kansas Jayhawks. 29 points, 8 assists, 7 rebounds, and 3 steals. And that performance, I think, is the key performance and the one that's going to end the long Kansas streak of being ranked in the AP poll. I didn't have them there in the top 25 last week. Really, this game really certified that. And what McBride's done, him and Culver have been a big dynamic duo for West Virginia. McBride really stole the spotlight on Saturday and a big one on CBS. Yeah, and that was certainly key for him. He was one of the two players I had written down. So I'll just say what I had. It was a key for him to get that performance after he really struggled against Iowa State earlier on in the week, but my secondary player is going to be Sandro Mamuskaya Shapili. Uh, as you would say, this is Sandro's world. We're all living in it. He had 20 plus points in both their wins against Providence and UConn. He's been a big part of the reason why Seton Hall hasn't fallen off too much despite losing Miles Powell. And that's crucial. And it's, it's time for always Garzilla watch uh, against Michigan state. And he had 27 and 12 in 35 minutes and their big win over them. Then against Ohio State, he had 16, 7, and 5 in their loss. EJ Liddell really clamped them up. Certainly an impressive performance from Ohio State to win that game. And then I didn't have his stats written down from the game against Indiana, but as I mentioned earlier, didn't play a ton. Only 27 minutes, shot 6 of 14 from the floor. Of course, made six free throws to go along with it, but 18 points and two rebounds, and this game is just uh, enforcing my movement. Jared Butler for National Player of the Year. When Baylor's undefeated at the end of the regular season and they win the Big 12 Conference Championship and Jared Butler's averaging nearly 20 points, 
it's going to be hard to say that Jared Butler wasn't better than Luka Garza performed when you also consider how much Jared Butler performs on the defensive end of the floor. Jared Butler for National Player of the Year because now Luka Garza, his point total on the year coming into this game was 25.9 and 8.7, and he was worse than that in both by a significant amount. I'm telling you, Jared Butler for National Player of the Year, he'd have my vote right now, and he's going to have more votes by the end of the year. I promise you, Nick. Yeah, I, I could really see that, especially when, you know, some people may not be watching Gonzaga a whole lot, and maybe, and really, some people are not thinking Gonzaga is bored in the West Coast Conference, uh, and they've definitely had some scares of that Gonzaga team. I mean, the game against Pacific was not an easy one until about the second half, uh, when they ultimately decided to really kick it into high gear, but I still, I still think that Timmy, Suggs, and Kispert, one of those three is going to end up being the one uh but again you make a good case for uh what um jared butler has uh has really has really done uh really uh so with that uh we're gonna be out for weekly predictions and it was good news for me this week uh got a couple on you there and, and i could have had a win number 70 in the year but of course you know thanks indiana the little old roll dice yeah thanks a lot uh but still i mean i'm not complaining about being ahead and we're going to try, as always, to get a really good week under our belts. Uh, 14 games, as usual, seven for the midweek, seven in the weekend. We're going to start with a couple of key games on a Monday, the first being Oklahoma State and Kansas. And I faded Kansas uh, last time in this program. I'm going to do it again to give me the Cowboys. Uh, very impressive win for Oklahoma State against Texas, and I certainly think that they'll be able to do it again against Kansas. Now, first off, it's your fault for putting the Indiana game in our schedule, Nick. I keep telling you this. Stop putting IU games in here. They're impossible to predict because you and I both got that game wrong. Uh, but uh, you're taking Oklahoma State in this game. I'm going to take them as well. So I'm on here to give the hard-hitting journalism facts. Kansas is 0-3 this year against teams that wear orange. Make it 0-4. And by the way, it's not my fault Indiana plays key games. So let's just keep that in the back of your mind yeah, yeah, for a yeah. second as well. Uh, and if you're going to talk about the Southern Conference a little bit. UNC Greensboro and Furman is a big one. Now, Furman, as of late, has sort of dropped off. They've lost three of the last four, which is putting them sort of in a disadvantage compared to the team I'm picking, which is UNC Greensboro. Uh, the best adjusted offensive efficiency in the Southern Conference and it's not particularly close, to be quite honest. The second best team in that category, East Tennessee State. So UNC Greensboro, they need to win this game. I think they will because Wofford played a couple more games in the conference than UNC Greensboro, Wofford 9-3. and three. And I don't think UNC Greensboro can afford to take a loss there because UNC Greensboro takes a loss. All of a sudden, it is game on between UNC Greensboro, Wofford, and even East Tennessee State, for that matter. Uh, for the Southern Conference. And you can also add Furman in there as well. A lot of compelling title races in the Southern Conference is one of the better ones in all the mid-majors. I've got UNC Greensboro here in this one. I do too. I think UNC Greensboro is going to do enough to get the upset on the road. Let's move on to another big one for Tuesday. That's going to be West Virginia and Texas Tech. You know, the first time these two teams met, it was a classic and West, West Virginia took it. Uh, I'm going to go with Texas Tech here in this game. A couple of big wins in the last three. Kansas State 
you got a nice win there. Of course, beating Kansas State really says nothing, but it's just another win, really, if we look at the overall grand scheme of things. Uh, and I really think that this is a Texas Tech team that you put them at home against West Virginia. I think it's going to be a little bit different. I expect another classic, uh, but I have Texas Tech here. Yeah, I'm going to use the same logic. Tech at home, guns up. Uh, I got the game right in Morgantown, and I think I'm going to get this game right, uh, flip-flopping over to Texas Tech. On a Wednesday, had a little bit of adjustment, but um, and with our with our pick schedules uh, late last night, the cancellation of Florida, Tennessee, but still a couple of good games on Wednesday to pick here. Uh, Rutgers and Iowa uh, being one of those games, and you know we keep mentioning Rutgers over and over again. Uh, it's a team that just they're a team that you know they can be really good. They had that that last stretch, they've turned it on. Their last four games now are sitting at eleven and six and seven and six in the Big Ten Conference. I think that run ends with Iowa. Uh, I, Iowa, they are struggling, and, and there is no bones about it that they are struggling. Uh, but I think Iowa finds a way to get it together here in this one. If they can't get it together against Rutgers at home, I think Michigan State on the road is going to be a really good game. And that's saying a lot about how far Iowa has kind of fallen as of late. Yeah, but I'm going to stick with Iowa here. They're at home. They're playing Rutgers. Rutgers is confusing. So is the entire Big Ten. I mean, Iowa's confusing too, so I'll just take the home team. Davidson and Feast to you is our next game up. We've talked a lot in this program about the Atlantic 10 Conference and just what the conference needs right now is a few teams to stick out from the rest. I think Feast to you needs to be one of those teams. I think they'll win this game. 15th best adjusted offensive efficiency in the country, which is a really good mark. Uh, and I think if VCU can get into the tournament, watch out. This team has sort of the profile of teams that can pull off upsets. And one of the big ones is adjusted offensive efficiency in my book. VCU has that. I think they're going to take this one and limit Davidson's offense, which, by the way, is 22nd best in adjusted offensive efficiency in the country. So definitely a good matchup there. Yeah, battles make fight type of game. This graphic you're going to release is going to be very boring because I am also taking VCU. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sometimes we like to get along on, on the bonanza with our picks. Um, Thursday, a couple of games here. Purdue, Minnesota uh, being one of them. And, you know, this Minnesota team is its a team that second half, they apparently don't like them um, very much. Um, you know, Minnesota... You know, they burned me a few times over the course of this season. Um, and I'm going to stick with them, quite frankly. Uh, being at home should help Minnesota out a little bit. Uh, but I think the second half is just so key for this team. Uh, they could get to get in the second half for once in their lives. I think they can beat Purdue, and I'm going to go with that. Yeah, I'm going to take Minnesota here as well. When they played a week ago, I did take Purdue at home. I got that one right. And I'm going to take the home team here again. It's the Big Ten. Uh, and the barn, as we all know, is really tough to play at. They've only lost one home game there all year, and it's the weirdest team in the world in Maryland. So uh, I'll take Minnesota here. Colorado Stanford on Thursday, a big one, particularly for Stanford, you know, trying to get some quality wins in their resume and avoiding some landmines. This would be a quality win. I think Colorado is a, a, a better team, uh, quite frankly. And I think they're going to take this game. It's a big game of Colorado as well. I think if they lose this one, they're absolutely out of the Pac-12 title race. So they need just about everything they can get um, in, in really as far as the title race goes to the Pac-12. 
mentioned a lot about USC and UCLA on the program. Colorado is another team that they can win a lot of games. They can get right up there and make things really interesting to be right for a third team to be right up there of USC and UCLA. I think the Buffaloes will get the job done. All right. So there, there will be one difference on this graphic. Ooh. I am taking Stanford in this game. I think they just need it more. Like you said, Colorado needs it for that Pac-12 race, but Stanford needs it to help themselves in the tournament. So I'm going to take Stanford here. Uh, I think Zaire could come back and maybe play well, depending on if he comes back. Villanova and Creighton, the first of our Saturday picks. All of these games are on Saturday, I do believe, um, that we're going to be picking. I think Villanova is going to recover. I, I, I really like the makeup of Villanova. I still think they're one of the better teams in the country. Uh, I think this one's going to be a big one for them. I think they'll get Georgetown at home. They'll get Marquette at home. This will be a big balance back opportunity for them to keep that momentum going. And I think they'll get it and try to convince some people that, hey, we're still around here for a number one seed. And I, I think if they're going to want to get a number one seed, this is a must-win game. So I'm going to go with, with Villanova. I am too. It really depends on which Creighton team shows up. If the good Creighton team shows up, they have a very good chance of winning this game. If the bad Creighton team shows up, they will get trashed. And I think it's going to be somewhere in the middle. And I think Villanova wins. Oklahoma, West Virginia. This is going to be a really tight game, to be quite honest, and one that sadly is on ESPN Plus. So, you know, if you got a few extra bucks to shill, maybe you do it on this one because it's going to be a really good one um, for those that like Big 12 or just college basketball in general. Maybe you do show a little bit of money for a monthly subscription to ESPN Plus. By the way, if you haven't been doing that all along, what are you doing if you're a college basketball fan? ESPN Plus is definitely a place for that. Oh my goodness gracious. I'm going to let you go first. I'm having a tough time making my mind up here. Well, I made my mind up before the show, so it makes it a little easier on my picks. I'm going to take West Virginia in this game. Them at home, so I'm going to double dip. Uh, I I picked them to lose. I'm going to pick them to win this game. So it's very dangerous because they flip-flop, then I go 0-2 on their games, and that's no fun. But I will take West Virginia. I think that their defense – is always going to be good, but the fact that they can also score a little bit more than Oklahoma is going to favor them a little bit. So I will take West Virginia at home in this game. Yeah, I, I'm going to as well. And, and for those wondering, I usually try to make my picks out beforehand as well. It, there's usually one or two games that give me some fits. And this is one of those games that absolutely is going to give me some fits. Uh, and I'm just going to stick with the home team here and see where things pay out there with that. Arkansas and Missouri, uh, a big one in the SEC, especially as I mentioned earlier on the show, how jumbled up uh, this conference really is from second, even all the way down to where Kentucky is at four and six in the conference, which really you look at all that, it's just a mess. So every game is going to be so important for seeding purposes. I think Missouri is going to get this game. And not only that, I think Missouri is going to really separate themselves from the rest and get a number two seed in the SEC tournament. They certainly could do that. I will take Missouri in this game. Arkansas, they've been a weird hit or miss team along with Missouri. This is kind of how the SEC's kind of been. I'm going to trust the veteran presence for Missouri and take them in this game. Oregon and Arizona, uh, a crucial game uh, for Oregon. Uh, now 10 and four in overall, five and three in the Pac 12. This is a critical game. Uh, it, it, 
I really would like to see them play Arizona State first, but ASU's COVID problems where I'm not necessarily sure if that game will actually go off as intended. Um, maybe it will, but I'm sort of on the fence of whether or not that'll take place. So this could be um, the first game in a week in a week for Oregon. I think the Ducks will take it. I, I think that Oregon is going to come really motivated. Uh, as we look at the bracket matrix, this is a team that is a 10 seed um, going into Saturday, uh, a team that really, after their win against Washington was decent, but a couple of bad home losses uh, for the Ducks puts them in a dire position. And I think this is a game that really starts them really becoming motivated to try to get into the NCAA tournament. I'm going with Oregon. I'm going to take the home team. I think Arizona will win at the McHale Center against an Oregon team who may or may not be coming off a game against Arizona State. Either way, I like the home team here. Oregon did win there last year after losing to Arizona State uh, the two nights before. That was such an incredible night being there at that game. I think that was the last basketball game I went to. So uh, certainly missing all that just as a college basketball fan, not even an ASU fan. I'm going to take Arizona here. Little Chicago and Drake. We we had picked this a few weeks ago. That game had that series had gotten postponed to this point. This is a this is a Saturday game for those wondering because you know back to backs they are wilder than ESPN ate the Ocho. Uh, so this is a game that I think Little Chicago is going to take and take convincingly. To be quite honest, this is a Little Chicago team that I think many people um, should be considering as the best team in Missouri Valley Conference, but because of Drake. Um, and their unbeaten record before um, Sunday, um, I think that it's very uh, excusable to uh, put Drake in that position. But Drake, um, as I try to uh, pull down by 12. Up, yeah, they, they are putting themselves in a bad spot against Falparaiso. So maybe they'll put, so maybe they'll be, they'll be a little bit more motivated against Louis Chicago in a big game that Drake is going to have to win at that point uh, for their resume. But not to be Louis Chicago. I think they're the best team in the Missouri Valley Conference. I'm going with the Ramblers. I couldn't agree more, Nick. Give me the Ramblers. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I think Louis Cox should be ranked over Drake. Um, that, that was coming into the week uh, before the AP poll was released on Monday. And certainly, I think Louis Chicago, should they, should they put themselves in a position um, to get that job done, which I believe that game is also in progress, um, as we are recording. And yeah, they are ahead of Evansville. So I think they win that game. They will be ranked in the top 25. Yeah, I, I had them at 20 last week. So they'll yeah, certainly move up. And I didn't have Drake ranked. So yeah, and, and, and it will be very, really well deserved as well. Um, a little bit further down the fan match of scoreboard game, I think will be just as good. Texas Tech at Baylor. Baylor's the obvious pick here, but wouldn't be shocked if Texas Tech made it a really good game to watch. It will. I'm fairly confident, but Baylor, like I said, they're the best team in the country. Give me Baylor. And then finally, North Carolina and Virginia. You know that I love this Virginia system. I'm going with the Cavaliers here. I love the Virginia system, but wouldn't be shocked if, if North Carolina made this game a big point of emphasis. And they're going to need to because some of the offensive numbers for North Carolina – haven't been very good. Um, but but while Virginia, not on par with some of the defenses that they've had in the past, I think that they're going to do a really good job on this North Carolina team and get a big win for the Cavaliers. I'm going to take the Cavs here as well. 
All right, so very similar picks. And you know, sometimes it's good to get along. And on that note, we're going to leave this episode of the College Basketball Bonanza as our road to bracket season now is hitting its full-on stride. For Dominic Stern, I'm Nicholas Hodel. Have a very good week of college basketball viewing, and we'll see you next time on the College Basketball Bonanza on your favorite podcast platform. Have a very good week, folks.